KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Economic inequality has been a problem in the United States for a long time, and it has just gotten worse and worse in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So what do we do? To talk about this, we reached out to Dr. Wayne Williams. He is an assistant professor of accounting at Temple University's Fox School of Business. We talk about our current moment, what to do to address the inequality, and how Philadelphia stacks up. Give a listen. So to kind of set the table here, income inequality, it's something we hear obviously a lot about now, but this was a serious problem in this country even before the pandemic. Kind of take me to the the before times. How bad was the, the idea of economic inequality in the U.S. Uh, before the pandemic? So yeah, economic inequality has been uh, a problem for the U.S. Um, it's actually measured in economic terms by the Gini coefficient, which is a, a kind of a scholastic kind of approach to it. But income inequality had been exacerbated because uh, much of the economy was attributed to the idea that workers had stagflation, meaning that the stagnant wages were the same for uh, quite a while. So what we saw was a shift in a policy from more of a global kind of approach to more of a nationalized approach where we would try to create more manufacturing jobs here in the United States in order to address the wage inequality that had occurred. Um, and that occurred basically because of the advent of technology. And so once we saw technology, we saw that those individuals who had college degrees or better were actually faring better in the economy and uh, had jobs that were paying higher than the average worker. Then we saw the emergence of what the lifestyle economy created, which was the gig economy. And so the gig economy basically allowed for individuals to freely move in and out of the economy uh, by taking on gig works. What I mean by that is ride share or event planning type jobs or even outsourcing personal services where there was lots of micro entrepreneurs who uh, had emerged in the economy. Um, They weren't high paying, but they kept the unemployment rate down. So in the the past, what we had was unemployment was based upon the number of jobs that companies were able to create. Uh, What we saw was unemployment was pushed down uh, by self-employment. So before the COVID, we had lots of people who were working uh, in the gig economy, and we had those individuals who were college educated and comprised the actual uh, traditional work. So now let's throw the pandemic into the mix. And I feel like uh, that has turbocharged inequality. And in all the discussions we've had on the podcast, a a line that has stuck with me is disruptions like a pandemic simply accelerate trends that were already in place. And I feel like that is exactly what we have seen with the the, the chasm we're seeing now in, in the two sides of the American economy. Yeah, so I like to explain to uh, my students in, uh, in text about the idea that fringe benefits that uh, you are given by your employer are a form of non-taxable income. And so fringe benefits go along with that traditional workforce 
and play a vital role in being able to help those individuals through a period like the pandemic. Uh, you have health insurance that stays intact. Um, you have uh, the ability to have matching funds for your retirement savings. Uh, for those individuals that were in the gig economy, um, they, they are subject to maybe uh, not being able to get unemployment. They may not have uh, the benefits that were uh, that a traditional worker would have. So uh, health insurance is at risk. Uh, you have uh, the ability to spend money on daycare. Uh, those costs are out of the way. Uh, they rely more on public transportation. So those costs are still an expense for those households. And so we see uh, that they don't have the ability to save um, like the uh, more asset rich parts of the economy that has the traditional workforce. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but when we talk about the, the people that have been hit hardest by job loss or things not coming back, you're talking food service workers, you're talking, uh, you know, maybe some retail in-person stuff. These are not people that were making a, a ton of money. So we're taking that lower. Cause I think one of the things I found interesting or not interesting, frightening, I forget at what point it was. It might have been May or June of the pandemic. There was an economic uh, report that the average hourly wage had gone up. And your first thing is, oh, that's good. And then when you dug into it, you realize, well, it went up because the lower third of the economy, all the people making the least amount of money, got pushed out of work. So it was – and that's not good. And just talk about how bad this situation is from that standpoint. Yeah, so <clears throat> I can think of uh, uh, someone I know that owned a car wash uh, as an example. And so think of working at a, a car wash uh, at the point in time that the um, payroll protection program was enacted for small businesses and these small businesses had to hire back workers. They couldn't incentivize them to come back to work to a low wage paying job simply because they would have been better off economically if they stayed out and received the economic stimulus, uh, maybe they were eligible for unemployment plus the federal benefit on top of that. Um, so the only way that they could actually uh, bring the, the workforce back into those lower paying wage jobs were to increase wages so that there was an incentive for them to actually return back to work. Uh, so low wage workers were you know, definitely hit hardest uh, because they rely on public transportation. They have uh, hours of work that are non-traditional. So that makes for disruption in the way um, of their households. And then we had a public health crisis on top of that. So imagine you had to be public facing in these, uh, these lower wage jobs. And at the same time, you're concerned about your health and you may not have access to uh, health care through an employer. So all of those things really made it difficult for those who are in the one, the lower third of the economy that you described. So early in the pandemic, we had the $1,200 direct payments. We had the enhanced unemployment. We had the, the PPP program. But that stuff has faded away, and we've been at loggerheads in Congress. And now it, I would imagine we're probably not going to see anything else until after the election. Um how much is this hurting things that we're not having this federal help that we, 
you know, had early on. And I think, frankly, most people would expect in the situation that we're in. I think about, you know, what is different about um, pandemic than other, you know, big fundamental risks that we've had to our economy. And I think the one thing that is different this time is that the national response to fundamental risks, like um, let's say uh, there was a war, what we would do is we, in the United States, we always had a unified response. In this case, because the way that we have approached the pandemic has been uh, sporadic across the United States, there's been a kind of stutter start um, to various state and local economies because we don't have a unified national response. So for state and local level, what you see is a decrease in revenue. There is less revenue collected at the local government because businesses closed down. And so they're not able to, they weren't liable for taxes in certain instances. And then there's a slowdown in terms of the amount of taxes that they had on uh, consumer goods. So sales tax at the state level and then wage taxes at the local level, all of that kind of slowed down. Simultaneously, what we see is more pressure. Uh, we had social unrest at the local level, which increased the actual cost of managing cities um, from you know, increased law enforcement expenses, social services, trying to support education in the public schools in order for them to get ready to open up. So this put a lot of pressure on local government. From the state level, what we saw was that there had to be, you know, a new mix of revenue that the state had to seek. They had to support the some of the hospitals and the PPE that went out to the hospitals. So both local government and state government are handicapped. And so this all leads to, we need federal help. And we were able to come up with the CARES Act initially. And that initial response was good because what it kind of did was start us down the path of recovery. But obviously, it was not enough. Uh, so at that point in time, we had basically six proposals for some economic stimulus that came from the legislature. We have two different types of policies. You've got monetary policy, which is the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, they provide liquidity. And so the Federal Reserve Bank has provided more than ample liquidity to uh, the economy, and there's more liquidity available. However, we have not been able to get politically on the same page. And so as a result, we haven't had fiscal policy response uh, in the form of the second round of stimulus. So of those six acts that have actually uh, been proposed, some on the Democratic side, some on the Republican side, and then some bipartisan, none of them have actually made it through either the House or the Senate. Um, we have had the SECURE Act that came in, and that went through the Democratic side, but wasn't introduced on the floor of the Senate. We had the IDEAL Act, which was introduced on the Senate side. It wasn't introduced on the House side. And so we haven't been able to do it. So we need the next round of stimulus, but we are uh, hampered in addition to being handicapped by uh, the upcoming election in a couple of weeks. So when we look at this problem from 30,000 feet, 
how big of a problem is the concept of economic inequality in this country as far as things that need to be addressed? I mean, as someone who doesn't really study this, but just kind of looks around, I it's got to be pretty close near the top, no? Yeah. So, so when you think about inequality, I think you have to split them into two. One would be income inequality, meaning how what's happened to the income coming into a household. The other one would be wealth inequality. And so what's exacerbating the income inequality is the wealth inequality. So you have those individuals who are asset rich. And by asset rich, what I mean is let's take a household that is a homeowner. Uh, In the pandemic, the response for that homeowner would have been that they had access to resources through home equity that they could tap into that could replace some of the income that they may have lost, increasing home values. So a person that owns a home, actually, uh, we've seen that uh, home prices have actually gone up in many places because people are moving into a lifestyle where they want to have a yard and have access to more space because of uh, social distancing. Um, Thinking of education, uh, you have college educated versus non-college educated. So uh, non-college educated workforce is more public facing than the college educated uh, workforce. So the virtual work, the virtual learning has impacted the economies. Those who could work virtually, their incomes have either stayed the same and or have gone up. Those who have to be public facing, they have resulted in Either they, they have lost their jobs, job loss, or they may have wages that are, you know, sometimes temporary. And so the next thing I think you have to think about is investments. What we see is that we already had a, an economy pre-COVID where the stock market growth was actually outpacing the underlying economy. So those who have investments have seen those investments drop but then recover. And in some cases, they've actually gotten better. So the wealth has actually increased. You have tax policies that allow for individuals to tap their retirement and pull down additional income from their retirement without having to pay tax penalty that was normally in place. And then uh, consumer debt. You know, if you were able to maintain your job and you had uh, access to resources, what you did in response to COVID was you automatically played off all of your, your consumer debt. So credit card liability for higher income individuals, they paid off that debt because they had less household expenses associated with commuting to work and, and, and maybe even paying for childcare for their kids because now they're at home. Um, so the consumer debt led to uh, the reduction in that consumer debt led to actually increase savings rates for higher income households. So we had, I think, 33% savings rate, which is, you know, unheard of in the United States. But that was experienced by the higher households, um, not the lower households. And then they were able to do more online spending, right? So those households were able to actually get their groceries online. They, they adopted streaming services. So we saw, um, you know, both Netflix and Disney, even though Netflix is down this quarter, 
we did see a lot more streaming. YouTube became extremely popular. So all the streaming services, they benefited because now they could uh, increase their advertising dollars. Household projects was another area in which they were spending. So we saw stocks like Wayfair, Home Depot, Lowe's. Uh, in the summertime, you saw the rotational cycle away from technology stocks over into some of those online retail uh, sales providers. And so we saw some recovery there on the supply chain. That supply chain had shifted around a number of times since we've had the pandemic. Um, it has slowed down for a lot of the hospital supplies. If you talk to uh, individuals who are in hospital procurement, but overall, the amount of people who are working in the supply chain has increased. So the income inequality has uh, actually been exacerbated because I think the precursor for that is the wealth inequality. Those who were asset rich pre-COVID are fundamentally better off than those who may have been renting, working in part-time jobs or in the gig economy. They are the most vulnerable, vulnerable citizens in our population now. As far as if we look in American history, I feel like income inequality, you know, you can go through and there are pockets where, is there a, a time or a period that you think we're kind of close to from, from the past? So normally, um, the only time that we've actually seen the level of uh, wealth inequality has been uh, right before we entered into the Great Depression. So we saw the stock market hit historic highs, and we saw the Roaring Twenties was the period um, that kind of uh, predated um, the crash of the 1930s. Um, this time, I think that there is enough economic shock absorbers in place for us to uh, not encounter the same re repeat in the history um, that we had. I don't see that there's going to be a fundamental stock market crash because technology is just in a, a permanent part of our new economy. And so that part of the stock market, I believe, is going to be enduring. Um, what I think may repeat itself is um, some of the policies that came out in the 30s, right? This is when we created Social Security and Medicare. So uh, we ended up having to build a safety net uh, in the 1930s because of the uh, inequality that was present in our society at that point in time. So it really is going to be up to America to decide, you know, our path forward. Are we going to have to put in place a new fiscal policy that is maybe different looking, but similar to uh, kind of that, um, that new deal that we had in the 1930s? If we don't address this, it's, can get very dangerous past an economic standpoint. If you get a larger and larger portion of the population that feels shut out and like there's nothing to lose, uh, the track record for those types of situations isn't, isn't very good from a societal standpoint. Sure. I think uh, the U.S. has uh, in its DNA uh, resiliency and the ability to actually come back from 
uh, lots of uh, crises that have occurred throughout history. Um, so I don't know exactly um, how we're going to be resilient in this case, but the hope would be that we don't go down the path that you described, which is to create a permanent underclass. And so if we don't address it, then you would have, in fact, a permanent underclass. And what we know are the consequences of creating a permanent underclass are some of the social economic ills uh, that include um, more reliance on drugs, uh, increase in crime, uh, more social unrest. And I think that we see uh, the embers of that fire kind of growing right now. And you mentioned, you know, looking at the policies of the 30 and building that social safety net. Uh, give me some ideas. Let's let's look at the glass half full or the positive possibilities here. What are some things you would like to see that I don't know that you'll ever get rid of income inequality and wealth inequality, but that would really help to shrink that and put us in a better place overall? Yep. So I think that there are a number of mechanisms that we can use in the tax code. So one of the things that we did in order to make sure that um, big industries, which are really the, the foundation of the country, was we provided them with a number of uh, tax breaks. And I believe that many of these big industries have now been able to uh, really restructure themselves and re-engineer the way that they do things uh, so that they're going to be more efficient in terms of being able to pursue profits in the future. Um, so as a result, um, they have what I would consider to be a little bit more uh, economic slack and wherewithal to be able to endure a tax increase. Uh, if you look at economists and what they say, mm -hmm. we shifted the corporate tax from a 35% tax rate down to 21%. Uh, the, the actual amount that was forecast by most economists was somewhere midway, uh, about in the mid uh, to upper 20%. Uh, and that would still allow for us as the United States to actually be competitive on the global stage, while at the same time that would also provide some uh, economic revenue to the government um, that could be used to allow for some support for those who are not as well off. I think from the policy of those who are actually working, the tax relief that we relieve, that we received under the Ta Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was received through an adjustment to your paycheck. So even though taxes were cut for most Americans, they didn't see it in a tax refund. It was just a slight change in the increase of their actual uh, net pay. So I think we could actually provide some tax relief for things like child and dependent care. I think that we could provide some relief associated with uh, student loans um, to help those who are in the working class sector actually get some relief from that. We've received some relief from being uh, responsible for student loan payments through the end of the year, but policy going forward should support the idea that we're going to need to get reskilled. So whether it's community colleges or uh, state institutions like Temple University, state affiliated universities like Temple, uh, we need to get more of our young folks in back in school and we need to have something like the community college to help um, to reskill individuals so that they're able to participate 
uh, in this new technology environment. I think another policy that we're going to really have to address in terms of uh, subsidy is going to be housing. Um, there is a, a real um, inequality in uh, how people are able to afford housing. So I think housing policy is another area where we could actually make a lot of headway. If we were to address some of the barriers to uh, people becoming um, eligible for mortgages and being able to increase the amount of home ownership uh, in the country. So those are just a few ideas that I've been thinking about myself. In the Philadelphia area, is are we in line with the what is usual? What does we see around the country as far as income and wealth inequality, or are we a little better? Are we are a little worse. Is there a way to to measure that? Do you have that info available? Yeah. So Philadelphia has the unfortunate, um, uh, I guess, uh, position of being the highest poverty big city in the United States. And so uh, what we see there are a couple of different things. Um, One of them is, although we are college rich, we are not college graduate rich in terms of the uh, residents of Philadelphia. So I think um, focusing in on trying to get more of Philadelphia residents uh, to graduate from college uh, in the region, we do well, but not so much in Philadelphia as as a county. So how we can take uh, that work, um, or at least that that portion of the population, and translate them into viable jobs is probably one of our local challenges. I think another local challenge for us is going to be uh, we were expanding uh, our transportation reach, um, going out to uh, King of Prussia, uh, SEPTA, and the role of public transportation here in the southeastern region. Um, So I think we're going to have to address that as well. Our economy is basically education and uh, hospitals. So eds and meds is the Philadelphia economy. If you think about that, um, this disruption um, will create some winners and losers in the higher education space. Um, More students are going to probably not be able to afford or opt out to go to some of the residential liberal arts institutions. Uh, those institutions that are further out may have um, challenges in terms of being able to get students to attend. Um, The demographics, so there are not as many young people following the millennials. So most of the millennials have actually graduated college and the um, cohort of individuals that are following them is not as large. So the enrollment numbers for colleges and universities is expected to decline naturally Um, over the next few years. Um, So in terms of jobs, I think about what is happening at colleges and universities, um, and I'm paying attention to when you start hearing layoffs in that sector of uh, our local economy. Then I think about hospitals, right? Hospitals are going to play a huge part and have played an enormous part. So I do believe that there's another opportunity for us to look at wages for hospital workers should they be paid additional amounts of money for this hazardous pay that they have had to incur? We can use it like we do combat pay and provide it in a way where those individuals may get a tax benefit for actually being on the front lines. Um, that could be stated as well as a mechanism 
from the federal level for individuals who are public facing that are going back out into the workforce during the pandemic. And I think here in our local economy, uh, we had lots of uh, hospitality here in Philadelphia. You know, sports is a significant part of our economy. So until we're able to restore uh, live events, this uh, Philadelphia being a destination place for individuals to travel to from all over the world, that hospitality industry has been impacted disproportionately. So uh, our economy is going to have to figure out ways in order to create alternative jobs until we can actually get that sector of our local economy, which is hospitality, back online fully, which may be a year or even two years out from where we stand now. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.